Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. The Bricks. Welcome back, everyone, to another Brick. We're here to talk about white supremacy culture and a list of tenets that go along with that, which are just a really great help uh, for folks to understand what it is that we're living in when we talk about white supremacy culture. So we get most of our information from Dismantling Racism Works. Um, they're a great organization uh, that really breaks a lot of this stuff down. Their website is dismantlingracism.org. So one of the baseline things that is important to remember when you're talking about racism and living in a racist society is that white supremacy culture is all around us and it is invisible to us. Um, DR Works uses uh, the fishbowl analogy to help everybody understand what exactly this means. So if we as humans are the little fish swimming around in a fishbowl for all of our lives and white supremacy culture is the water. So that means that we're swimming in it, breathing it, drinking it, depending on how fish actually do that. (laughs) And it's water, so you can't see it. It's all around you. You can't see it. You can't hear it. So just making sure that that if that's the baseline where you're coming from, that you always know that it is pervasive. It is continuous up until you have the understanding that you're in that fishbowl. And then you can start seeing the water, tasting the water, like knowing that it's there and start to recognize that it's in every part of how you live. So Taylor mentioned that we're going to be talking, we're going to be getting our information from dismantlingracism.org today. And we're going to be talking about 14 white supremacy culture tenants that DR Works introduces to us and how they show up in organizations and our everyday life. The reason why I wanted to talk about these tenets and characteristics is because we at Democracy North Carolina use these to identify our own internal issues um, and learn from them as they happen and work on applying the antidotes to them so that we don't um, continue to live in, in white supremacy. We identify it, we recognize it, and then we work to move out of it. It's important for us to remember that these are damaging because they're seen as norms and standards. Or when we start talking about them, you can hear how they seem normal and seem like they could be either personality traits or just quote unquote, how humans are. It's like just like a very common thing, like, oh, that's just a person thing. Well, it's not. And they just continue to promote white supremacist thinking and white supremacy culture as the norm and as okay. It's also important to remember that these show up in white folks and BIPOC folks because we all live in a white supremacist society. So no one is immune to having these thoughts or living in them. And just to give the proper credit, um, this resource that we use is by um, Tema Okun of Dismantling Racism and Daniel Buford of Survival and Beyond, which are both groups that we have worked with personally as an organization, which is great. So there are 14 of these white supremacy culture tenants, and I'm just going to list them really quick. And Taylor's going to explain them a little more, or maybe not all of them, but I'm just going to go ahead and list them. So perfectionism, sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, only one right way, paternalism, either or thinking, power hoarding, individualism, I'm the only one, progress is bigger or more objectivity, and the right to comfort. So which ones do y'all want to talk about? Whether it be you don't know what they mean, or you see yourself living in those, or you've experienced them the most. For me personally, I think I'm like very affected by the first one, which is perfectionism. 
And I'm sure, I feel like I see a nodding head, so I feel like y'all are too. So we can talk about that. I also think perfectionism is one of those things that like everyone has heard of, everyone gets, but relating it to white supremacy, I think that might be interesting because it's like it ties more deeply than than we realize. Yeah, I definitely agree because I, I feel like me and then as well as a lot of my friends, we like often would self, self-describe as, oh, I'm a perfe- perfectionist. And that's just like something that people would say and like throw around. But like, I actually haven't really thought about that being relevant to the white supremacist culture. So it'd be interesting to deconstruct that. Yeah, I think this is a super important thing to talk about because of the fact that it is um, one of the most obvious tenets. It's one of the tenets that's most obviously seen as a great trait about a person. Like it's held up over and over and over again. So I do think that it's important for us to talk about. I can't remember if we talked about this on an episode or if it was just in one of our other meetings, but I remember recently saying about how if you've ever gotten job interview training, you know how one of the classic questions is, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And like a pro tip that someone will give you is say perfectionism is your weakness because it's really a strength because people understand that putting out the best work that you can is supposed to be amazing and like putting out the best work that you can at all costs at putting yourself as the cost right is actually a strength and I think that that's just important to name and I actually think that at least Eva and Alyssa I can't remember if Lumi has but Eva and Alyssa have both you know very seriously described yourselves as perfectionists and just Two nights ago, Eva was telling me, I can edit this episode of the podcast again tomorrow because some of the stuff still sounds a little weird and just, I just need more time. And I had to be like, are you being a perfectionist? And are you taking up all this time? Cause it's, it's time consuming to edit these podcasts. And are you taking up all your time just to make sure that you can get out every tiny weird sound when in all honesty, it's going to be okay if that's in there. And she had to say, yeah, it can be done. (laughs) And that's not something that just happens a lot. Like it's just not challenged frequently. If someone's like, no, I just, I need more time. It's going to like, I want to make it perfect. It's very frequently that no one else will be like, most people will say, okay, cool. Yeah. I want it to be perfect. Then yeah. Take, spend more of your time, work overtime because you know, what's going to be perfect when you're doing something creative. It's hard because you have a vision, you have an idea in your head and you want to make it get there. But the, the time that it takes and the energy that it takes for you as a, as a worker to bring something creative about is a lot. Um, and shouldn't always be the way that you go. The description uh, that Tema Okun made for this, here are some of them. Perfectionism leads to a tendency to identify what's wrong and a little ability to identify a name and appreciate what's right. Wanting everything to be perfect leads to only being able to recognize the wrong things because those are the things that will make it perfect if you fix these wrong things. And that's just like, I don't, it's not, degrading is not the right, right word, but it's just... It constantly wears on you to only think about and only hear the wrong things because you want it to be perfect. And it just leaves so little room for you at the end of a project or whatever, at the end of anything, to be actually happy with what you've made. And that's upsetting. (laughs) No one should have to deal with that. Perfectionism also leads to mistakes as being seen as personal. And they reflect badly on the person rather than just understanding that people make mistakes and your work or whatever 
shouldn't and can't be perfect because perfection is not something that's able to be attained. And so it creates the idea that there is something wrong with the person. And, you know, for example, in work, like this worker deserves um, like a lower evaluation because they didn't do that thing correctly. Or maybe they don't deserve the promotion. Maybe they don't deserve the pay raise. Maybe they don't deserve extra responsibility because they did those things wrong. And mistakes are reflected back on the human and not just that sometimes work has mistakes. I also think when dealing with perfectionism, it kind of prevents you from being a learner in a way because it's more focused on being right and everything being perfect. And it's not as focused on, you know, getting it right in the process of getting there and all of that. And that kind of also makes me think of defensiveness, Taylor. Obviously, all of these tenants and anything white supremacy and racism related is are interconnected um, because you can never have one thing without the other. But those link to each other so well because defensiveness is the thing that we do when we think we're supposed to be perfect. We think we are perfect. And then someone points out a thing that isn't that, right? So someone then points out that, oh, this part isn't good or did you take this into consideration? And then the immediate reaction is to be defensive and justify yourself and be like, oh, hold on. No, I like I knew all of these things. I took all this time. And then you're just spewing justification for yourself when it's all it's totally possible that this person was like it's possible that this person was saying something because there was something wrong, but they could have also been saying something like completely out of like love and care. Like, oh, did you take this into account? I think this would be interesting. And then all of a sudden you're pissed off and trying to justify yourself because you're supposed to be perfect, right? So how could you be wrong and you need to defend yourself? Um, and then of course, in actual conversations about racism, it's the thing where someone calls you out for something when you've done something wrong or caused harm and you don't have the ability to accept that you could do something wrong. It's like you are refusing to see anyone else's perspective because yours is the only right thing. And that applies to bigger conversations such as race, but even smaller things like such as creative decisions. If you are the only person who has a valid idea, you're never going to be able to make it better. Things are improved through collaboration. Nothing is ever done by a single person, by a single thought, by a single entity. So this defensiveness, this perfectionism hinders growth and it makes it impossible to grow as an organization, to grow as a community, to grow as a person. Defensiveness lends itself to the structure of either society or whatever institution you're in at the moment to be set up where so much energy is spent trying to protect power as it exists, so the status quo, rather than facilitating the best out of each person or to clarify who has power and how they expect to use it. People then respond to new or challenging ideas with defensiveness, which makes it difficult to raise new ideas, which is what Lumi was talking about, that um, this leads to the no ability for collaboration and no ability to grow and be different and do anything new <laughs> um, or have new people in power in that example as well. And I think that also leads to, um, for me, like only one way, either or power hoarding and individualism. Like I feel like these are definitely yeah. in relation to that bullet point at least. 
Yeah. Which is why I said earlier that they're all related to each other. Like once you start thinking about them, then you're like, wait, is this either or thinking or only one right way or I'm the only one? Um, And it's not that they're all the same, but it's just that they all feed into each other. It's this like crazy cycle of interconnectedness. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I can just like, I mean, like think of examples like for me, like I've definitely been that person in high school who like, if I were on like group project and I would like dictate everything and I just like write up the whole thing or just like, you know, in the end going and like change a lot and just make it what I perceive it as the perfect version. And even like at my current school, like sometimes that is like being like, sometimes people are like, oh, I feel like you'll be t- that kind of person. And that was like reinforced as something that's good. And that like, I'm, you know, and then I thought that would just be reinforced to me for the most of my life as something that's good. And that's a, I guess, a good quality to, to take that responsibility when in fact, it's definitely part of this perfectionism. And also, um, you know, definitely, I think collaboration definitely, takes time, you know, to con- gather everyone's perspectives and consider them seriously and then form a collaborative effort to finish something or achieve a goal. And that also feeds into the second tenet, which is sense of urgency, because we mm-hmm. don't have that time to truly collaborate. And that's why we also often have to really divvy up the task or just have one person take over because there's not enough time for everyone's opinions to be valued and taken into account. Right. So I think, I think all of, I mean, all of this, obviously, but I think a lot of this just ties to the fact that people don't want to do the work. All of these things require intentional effort, partially to unlearn, but also just to do differently. You're defensive because you don't want to have to change what you've already done. You want it to be perfect because, well, I guess that has le- is less to do with it, but you, you want it to be perfect because you have an idea and you can execute it yourself. And perfectionism is within your own idea and your own understanding. Um, I'm the only one in one right way. It's like, exactly. I, know the, I know the right way. So I've got to do it, which means that I'm the only one who knows how to do it because it would take all this extra time to teach other people how to do my right way. So exactly. I'm just going to do it myself. It's very selfish mm-hmm. and lazy in a way mm-hmm. because it requires interacting with people that think differently than you. Mm-hmm. It requires conversation and communication and having those discussions that make you think people don't like to think they don't they don't like that they want to know what they know and be done and 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 it's something that's like this this isn't like you're saying they but like it's us it's we we all i i don't like to think (laughs) we're all like this because this is how we've been socialized for centuries. So if this is your first conversation like this, or to hear these things, then it's going to be overwhelming to think, how do I even do anything at all? If everything I do is, is incorrect, which yes, that's true. Like it's overwhelming because it is so deep and so long. It's, it's harmful to just continue to cater to the status quo and not try to change anything. And so, yes, it is it is a lot of effort and a lot of work to do all these things differently because 
whether it's hearing enough voices or like hearing all the voices, letting everyone's opinion come into account, changing the way you workflow, whatever it is, it's hard and it's time consuming. But if we all do this years from now, like can only imagine what our society would be like if we spent our effort on this, which is all of that is true, which is why I think it's so important that you're listening to this podcast right now because you're taking that first step in even understanding what these white supremacy tenants are. Because before I learned about these, I was just continuing to practice each of these tenants every day unknowingly. And now that I know about them, I can start to be more intentional in how I unlearn them. And I guess like just to add more perspectives, like, I feel like because like these things are so, I guess, ingrained in our, in like the American society and in our everyday life that it might be hard to kind of like envision another way of life, another way to do things. But I mean, like even based on my limited experiences living, you know, in other cultures and other countries, I can definitely tell that like it can definitely be improved. Um, there are places where I've briefly lived where definitely there, there's like a slower pace to either life or work where you definitely have more time to consider things and take it slow and consult everybody on the team. So definitely there is an alternative and many people, most people around the world are living that alternative rather than this white supremacist culture. So definitely don't think, oh, this is just the way it is and we can't really change much about it because we absolutely can. And we're definitely falling behind compared to a lot of other societies in, you know, just making it more inclusive to everybody. Our sense of urgency is fake. (laughs) Like our sense of urgency is fabricated because to us, progress is bigger. Progress is more like, how about progress is inclusion? How about progress is equity? You know? And I also, I also feel like there are a lot of people right now that are like, looking for ways they can make change like specifically white people or a lot of like are out there like what can i do well start with yourself for one and start trying to unlearn all of the white supremacy culture that you've been soaking in and absorbing all all throughout your life (laughs) and let's start there so please read up on these white supremacy tenets um, and other information from dismantling racism Uh, If you go to our Instagram specifically, we have a link tree at DemocracyNC where you can get to either the homepage for Dismantling Racism or the PDF of these tenants and their descriptions and their antidotes, uh, which is helpful. So take this brick and help us build a better North Carolina.